We're still in Jonah. We're in chapter 3. We're getting to the good part, I think. So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And let me ask you a question to start with. Have you ever heard of a guy named Thomas Edison? What did you know this about him? Teachers told him when he was younger that he was, quote, too stupid to learn anything. I don't know if you've heard that. In fact, he was fired from his first two jobs for not being productive enough. And I don't know about you, but I am really glad that he got a second chance because I like light bulbs. They're helpful. You know, when I decided to share that, I forgot that we were going to do a light thing. So that wasn't planned or anything, but uh, that's Thomas Edison. How about this one? You ever heard of a guy named Michael Jordan? Anybody? Did you know he was cut from his high school basketball team? I am glad he got another chance because I believe perhaps he's arguably the greatest basketball player to ever walk the planet and play the game. I'm glad I got to see him play. Well, that's just two examples. We could go on and on with examples of people that have had second chances. But I want to ask you today, have you ever had a second chance in life? Anybody ever get a second chance? I have. I have, and it's awesome. Or how about this one? Have you ever wished you could just have a do-over or start it over again? Perhaps, this is kind of sad, but perhaps today some have even thought it might have been better if you'd never been born. That's how difficult things can be sometimes. You see, we've all said or done something we regret. We have all failed to do something we should have done. No doubt, if everyone is honest in here, most all of us would say, uh, I have wanted to have a fresh start at some time in my life, a new beginning. In fact, that may be true of you today. Well, today we look at the runaway, castaway prophet, Jonah. He gets a second chance to serve the Lord, and I'm grateful that he does. You see, when the Lord called him the first time, do you remember what he did? He ran. He went the opposite way, tried to get as far away that he could. He rebelled against God's call. He refused to do what God asked. I can relate to him somewhat. Can you? Has there ever been a time when that's happened in your life? We see it today all over the place. People running from God, rebelling against God's call or what they, God has asked them to do. But, love that word, but when God discipline Jonah. We saw that last week, didn't we? Last couple weeks. He ran to God. And God was ready to give him a fresh start. And we're going to see that today. Thank God that I, I believe God is the God of second chances. You see, when we sin, when we blow it, guess what? God does not discard us. If I could tell you anything today, it would be, if you've blown it, don't assume that God is just going to discard discard you to the sin pile heap. He's not. He wants to work in your life. You see, he is our God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Aren't you glad? I am. Here's the big idea today I want you to think about. When we repent, that is when we have the proper response to God calling us out, to God disciplining us, to God's holy standard, when we repent, we get the opportunity, are you ready for this, to run with God. Isn't that much better than running from God? It's better than running to God. I tell you what the sweet spot is, is when you get to run with God. 
So when we repent, we get the opportunity to run with God. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word. Not my words, God, but yours. That as we see application from your truth, we would be open to applying it in our lives. Thank you, God, that you desire for us to run with you. Thank you for your forgiveness in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's read a whole chapter of Scripture this morning. Want to do that? It's just ten verses. Chapter 3, let's look at it. Then the word of the Lord, there it is again, came to Jonah a second time. See, I wasn't joking. He's getting a second chance. It came a second time, and it says, get up, exclamation point. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day. Now, that's not a three-day walk to get to it. That's when you're there. It's a three-day walk, okay? Do you see that? He set out on the very first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, here it is, in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown, exclamation point. The men of Nineveh, that, that, that would be the, the people, the whole city, believed. Do you see that? Believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when word reached the king of Nineveh, look, the king is even involved, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. This is very important. Look at this. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out, earnestly or mightily to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And then let's not miss verse 10. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. That's that idea of repentance. You see it? They had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. So let's jump in with the first four uh, verses and see that there's a second chance. There's a second chance for the runner, for the runaway prophet, for Jonah, there is a second chance. Did you ever think about this? Jonah did not deserve the right to preach in Nineveh. He didn't deserve it. In fact, Jonah did not deserve the right to be the greatest evangelist of the Old Testament. Now, we can debate that, but you study the Old Testament and see, perhaps this is the greatest evangelism event that happens in the entire the Old Testament, and he did not deserve it, but he got a second chance. You see, God's call and command comes to the runner for a second time. It says it right in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So the first three verses, we see something very interesting, a total change of heart and behavior, because Jonah accepted the mission of God. If you look at that again, he accepts the mission. It's a difficult one. I wouldn't want to go preach that message. Okay, Lamar, go to Albuquerque. Man, I'm... you ever been to Albuquerque, anybody? 
I might get shot, right? Or something. I mean, my truck, I have to put one of those clubs on my, you know what I'm talking about? On the wheel, on the steering wheel, all right? And Nineveh is so much worse than Albuquerque. Wow, he accepts the mission. There's a principle here I want you to get as we think about the second chance and Jonah moving forward with what God told God told him to say, and it's this. God is open to use us anytime we choose to utilize his grace. You see, here's what we need to remember, though. God is under no obligation to do that, but he does it out of his mercy and grace. He has no obligation to give you or me a second chance. He is holy God perfect and yet he forgives he loves and he gives us his grace isn't that great to know so we note here that God did not change his mind notice it's the same mission from the beginning of the book it's the same thing he didn't alter it because of Jonah's behavior and let me just remind you that what the mission the call that God gives you he's not going to alter it because you're smart or not so smart you're rebellious or not so rebellious it stays the same he works in us to mold us to fit what he wants us to do it's the same mission so what's the mission it's simply to do this what does it say to go get up go and preach now that's an interesting word it's the same word in chapter 1, verse 2. It's the same word in chapter 2, verse 2. It's the same word later on in this chapter. It's all throughout this book. And we think preach, a guy on Sunday morning with the microphone preaching to folks. No, it means to cry out. In fact, you'll see it uh, interpreted, uh, in, excuse me, translated that way. Call out, cry out. Remember the sailors? Remember the captain? Remember Jonah in the belly? It's the same word over and over. To cry, to call out, to declare, to proclaim. It's our mission as well. We're to go and proclaim what God has done. All Christians today have the same mission that Jonah had. Let me read some scripture to you in case you're not convinced. You know this one, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we call it the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and, the, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Mark 16, 15. Then he, Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be, what is it? My witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One more, John 20.21. 20, Jesus said to them, who's them? The disciples. Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you mission calling it's the same thing our mission church are you ready for this whether you work with the little guys all the way up to the, our most senior adults whether you're involved in women's ministry men's ministry whether you're teaching a class or you're attending a class I we have so many things going on I can't remember them all None of it matters unless we tie it into what? Making 
disciples. That is our mission. You may run into me occasionally and have a great idea, and you'll come to me and say, Pastor, I got a great idea. First thing I usually say is, well, if it's your great idea, you do it. Don't put it on me. Don't you love that when people do that? I got this great idea. And then they walk off. No, no. But secondly, I may not respond as enthusiastically to your idea if it doesn't have something to do with making disciples. Now, of course, we know in the Great Commission, there's three supplemental commands that go with the mission. It's go, baptize, and teach. That's part of the mission of making disciples. Folks, it's simple. We make it too complex. We don't need to read a book, although that's good. We don't need to go to a seminar. That could be good. We need to do the simple message, the command that God has given us. So we see here in these first three verses a picture of obedience in Jonah. Do you see the contrast from what it used to be? Now we have this great picture, this example of obedience. And the scripture tells us Jonah marches right into the city, right into enemy territory, if you will. It's a big place. Some scholars would tell us it's perhaps the largest city in the world at that time. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, I mean, I can believe them, okay? But picture that three-day walk. Picture what is going on. Picture him marching around with the difficult message he has. Let me tell you something. God has given us marching orders as well. Church, if you hear anything today, I want you to hear this. Ideas and talk are not enough. Ideas and talk are not enough. What is required of us is personal involvement. Personal involvement. In my Thursday email coming up this week, if I remember, I'm going to tell you about God gave me a personal involvement opportunity to talk with someone that I've been praying about. Someone that's been on um, our prayer board. You know, we've been doing these prayer meetings for evangelism. A name that's up there, and I'll share that with you. Thursday, but I'm just excited to realize at that moment I'm, I'm outside behind my truck in the driveway and I can either have personal involvement or not. I can just talk about whatever or I can do more than just have idea. I have the idea in my head what the commission is, what the mission is. I have the, the, the words to say it, but personal involvement. I want you to get something today. Some of you might have what I call spiritual low esteem, spiritual low self-esteem. But listen to this. If God wasn't through with Jonah, he's sure not through with you. Did you catch that? I want you to hear that. If God wasn't through with Jonah, he's surely not through with you. Please don't think that God is through with you. Cry out to God. Cry out, call out, and plead, God, please show me. Give me opportunities. Use me. I would say it this way. It is time for some of us to get off the shelf and get in the game. Amen? It sure is quiet in here right now. <laughs> I am hitting a chord with some of you. If you're convicted, it is not me. It is the Lord and his words of the Great Commission, what our mission is. So we see in verses 1 through 3, Jonah accepted the mission of God. And then in verse 4, we see that Jonah announced 
the message of God. Look at verse 4. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk. He didn't go in and, you know, have a bunch of committee meetings. No. The first day of his walk in the city, and he proclaimed, quote, In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, exclamation point. Jonah has one message for every street corner that he goes by. Did you notice there's no decoration? There's no eloquence? There's no apology for the difficult message? There's no TV. There's no radio. There's no PA system. He's having to do it with his own voice on every street corner. There's no CDs even, MP3s. Kids, CDs are those round things that we put in players that aren't in vehicles anymore. Okay, yes. There's no revival meeting, you spiritual Christian out there. There's no revival meeting. There's no Bible conference, you educated Christian. There's none of that. There's no publicity, and for those of you who are in fan clubs, there's no merch even. Do you know what merch is? There's no merchandise. There were no t-shirts to sell. There were no cool coffee mugs to sell. It is just Jonah announcing the message of God, which, by the way, we have the message of God right here, don't we? If you got your Bible today, hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. Look at it. We have the message. Thank you. I just want to see if you're listening. Good. Wow. Let me give you an equation this morning. Some of you I know are mathematical geniuses here. Here it is. One person plus God equals a mighty work. Did you catch that? One person, Jonah, plus God, it's God's message, God's call, equals a mighty work. And we see this in chapter 3. One person plus God can even turn a whole city. Oh, God, would you turn our city? Oh, God, would you save our city? Our city is lost and headed straight for hell. And a number of people today will die in our city and break open the gates of hell. They'll begin to spend eternity separated from God. Oh, God, would you do a mighty work? Now, let's remember something about Nineveh. We talked about it in the very first sermon. With background. Do you remember Nineveh? Not as it just a huge, large city, but it was very corrupt. It was full of atrocities. It was full of savagery. It did things that I can't even talk about in a mixed group. Or if someone watched online, it was that graphic, what had, had gone on there. And not only were they that corrupt, but they had a hatred towards the Jews. Oh, and Jonah is one of them, God's prophet. So remember that. I want you to notice something here. Would you please notice something? Here's another one of these things that maybe you need to get today. You might not get anything else. Notice Nineveh did not come to Jonah. Jonah came to Nineveh. If I had a dollar for every time a, a, a church member over all the decades said this to me, I'd have quite a few dollars. Well, we'll just build it and they'll come. It's on them to come. Where do you get that in Scripture that if we build a church building, it's on lost people to come? Maybe a few generations, people would feel guilty. They'd see a sign and they'd come in. Can, can I tell you something? We're a couple generations removed from that. Nobody is coming just because they drive by a church and feel guilty. Nineveh did not come to God or come to Jonah. 
Jonah had to go to the city. We have to do that. Listen, God has not called the lost to come to us, but for us to go to the lost. Again, get out of the sidelines and get into the game. Well, then we get to, we see verse 4 here. It's the only prophecy. Isn't that interesting? It's a, a, a book about a prophet, and there's one prophecy in the entire book. Remember, it's 48 verses. Lots of questions. But here we have the prophecy. Did you catch it? In 40 days, then it will be overthrown. Now, depending on what English translation you have, you should have either seven English words or eight English words. In the Hebrew, it's five Hebrew words. And it says, you got 40 days, and God is going to overthrow or demolish you. That word means to destroy, to overthrow. It's not just a coup. It's destruction. Wow. Let me give you a picture of that word. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened to them? It's the same word used in Genesis 19. It's a powerful message. Man, I would have been scared to death if I'm walking. i got to walk around. Three days walk and share that. Wow. It's the only prophecy in the book. You see, when we get to this part of this biblical prophetic narrative, we see it is time for the God of the second chance. And thank God that he is willing to forgive. Thank God that repentance can and must come. So we have that second chance. And then verses 5 through 9, we see a response. It's a response from the city. It's a response from Nineveh. In verse 5, there's a great statement of faith. It basically says what? They believed in God. Do you see that? That word believed means receiving something that is true and sure. It's not just you believe in something. It's that it is sure. It is steadfast. It is truth. They believed in God. It's the same word used when in Genesis 15, Abraham is said that he believed in God. Remember the journey he had to go on? It's the same word there. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Do you remember Jehoshaphat? I like to say that word. He told the people, if you'll remember, he said this great phrase in Second Chronicles 20. Put your trust in God. It's the same word, and it says they believed or they trusted in God. God. It's like saying, Amen. I believe it. I receive it. So be it. It is truth. Nineveh believed God, not Jonah. It takes all the pressure off of us, folks. When we share our testimony, when we get in the game, when we share with someone, when there's personal involvement on our part, we don't have to worry if someone rejects us. They're not rejecting us, they're rejecting the message of God. They didn't believe in Jonah when they believed. They believed in God. Listen to Jesus' words, Matthew 12, verses 40 and 41. And you've heard 40. We've already said it. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But catch the next verse. The men of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. That's what Jesus said. Wow. Remember, though, Jonah 
did not want to go. In fact, Jonah did not want God to have mercy on the Assyrians. Not only was there struggle, I think he was prejudiced. That's just me. I, you know, I don't have 18 PhDs, but that's what I think. He didn't want to go. He didn't want them to have mercy. But God's grace, as we see here in chapter 3, God's grace gets shown to these Gentiles. In verse 5, it also says they proclaimed a fast. Don't get hung up on that. What is a fast? It is an outside manifestation of an inward attitude. Why? To focus wholly and completely on God. So when people come tell me, oh, I'm in the middle of a fast, I'm like, why are you telling me? It's an outward thing, unless you're just saying, don't give me that fried chicken. Okay, I understand that. But what's the reason for it? Not, not just to deny, but to remove those things so we can focus wholly on the Lord. And so we see that's what they're proclaiming, that's what they're doing, and they go a step further. It says in Scriptures in verse 5, they wore sackcloth. Have you ever worn sackcloth? It's a coarse hair garment. Some would say it's goat hair. Yuck. Some would go so far as to say it might have been camel hair. In any case, that sackcloth is this coarse hair garment. It is harsh. It is irritating to the skin. And that's what they're doing. And the scripture tells us in verse 5, everyone did it. Not just the guy who wrote the ordinance. And then... The, the peasants had to do it. No, everyone did it. So there's this statement of faith, and then verses 6 through 9, we see s- sorrow, repentance, something genu- genuine. There's great sorrow. There's deep mourning, and now the king is involved in it, and we see it's even with the king. The king, the Scripture tells us, he traded his royal robe for a burlap bag. He traded his throne for an ash heap. Can you see the picture and everyone was involved, and they got a little carried away, I think. Even they made, they made even the animals be involved. I want to see you try to put a sack, sackcloth all over a horse. Just go ahead and give it a shot. I want to see how that goes. But they were so convinced and believed in God so greatly and repented so much, they said every, even the animals and the herds are going to do that. Wow. Mm. Notice something here. There's no delay. There's no discussion. They were to call out. There's that word again. It's the same word. They were to call out to God. They were to turn from their evil ways. What does that mean? It means to change. And pray that God would relent. Now, that's an interesting word. I don't know if that's the best way of translating. But what that means is, get this picture. Relent means to sigh, to groan, to have pity. I like this one, to have compassion. How should we respond to God's discipline on us? How should we respond to his judgment? With humility, it's shown here. With focus, it's shown here. And with repentance. Don't tell me it's repentance if there's not humility. Don't tell me we're serious about trusting God if there's no focus on that. And they do all that here. Let me read to you Paul's words, Acts 26, verses 19 and 20. He's standing before the king, King Agrippa, and he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem, and to all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles. Why? 
that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. That's what he told the king. That's what's in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 7.10. I love this. For godly grief. Have you ever had godly grief? For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation. You see, you can't be a Christian. You can't be saved if there's not that godly grief that leads to repentance. But worldly grief produces death. What about you? Is today the day when godly grief catches up with you and you repent and you turn towards the God? The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, who's been working in your life already, who's been drawing you to his side, he's been doing the work, and boom, here it is. Are you ready to repent? Because he is the God of second chances. He is the God who saves. He is Savior. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. What about you today? Notice they cried out. There's a word again. Earnestly or mightily. When's the last time we have cried out to God earnestly or mightily? Wow. You see, we should come to God with this type of passion, with this seriousness about our sin. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm not serious enough about my sin. What about you? Don't we gloss over it or just move on? We should have this passion and seriousness about our sin and our need for God and God alone. What about you? Well, lastly, let's look at verse 10. That's Nineveh's response. But what is God's response? You see it? And God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. Look, church, works do not earn forgiveness, but works are a result of forgiveness. Isn't that right? Anybody in here forgiven? God took note of the genuine repentance. God chose not to bring destruction. I believe this. I believe God is willing to forgive. But church, don't presume it magically happens. There was a great cost to God's rescue plan for us. Jesus died on the cross. Don't presume that I'll just go on and sin. What does scripture say? No, don't, don't go sin even more so God's grace will abound more. No, no, don't assume it magically happens. But no, God is willing to forgive. And God desires repentance in us. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. This is our God. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The last phrase of this chapter is striking. Look at it. Did you catch it? In my translation, it says this, and he did not do it. You see, I believe repentance appeals to God's mercy, not his judgment. And I believe that God always acts righteously. Now, if you might say, hey, we're going to take a little side here. If you might say that God changed his mind, hmm, no. I would say to that, 
That's a simplistic, incorrect statement. You see, here's a principle. God is immutable. Have you heard of that before? God is immutable. He cannot change. What does that mean? He, he, he will not change. He cannot even change. He is immutable. The repentance of Nineveh did not cause God to change his mind about truth. Truth is still truth. God's standard is still his standard. What their repentance did, it caused change about the consequences of the truth. You see, the immutability of God is very important. There is, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, but I would love to debate you on this, a divergent view that's out there and around there. It's called open theism. Have you heard of it? Open theism. You probably have a friend that might believe that. Open theism gives way to a libertarian freedom that trumps God's omniscience. They would say something like this. The future is not totally known by God. Oh, he'll change his mind as things evolve and work out. There's a Hebrew word for that, hogwash. <laughs> our God, Scripture teaches us, our God is all-powerful, but he's also all-knowing the immutability of God. Listen to Hebrews 13.8. We're almost done. Jesus Christ, you know it, is the same is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from, from God our Father, who is the Father of lights. But let's not miss the last phrase. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. This is important. If God is not immutable, then culture can change God then societal shifts can change God, can influence God, can dictate truth. Have you not seen that today with relativism? Have you not seen that? Truth is truth. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Okay, I feel better. I just wanted to get on that soapbox and let you know, no, no, I'm not going to bring them up. You know them. All these society things that are happening, right? And, and God's going to make it okay? And God's going to bless it? And just because a, a church ordains it or does it? That, that, no, God is immutable. He does not change. His word does not change. Let's let Pastor David Jeremiah summarize this for us. He'll do it better than I will. Listen to this quote. When we recognize what we have done, are remorseful over it, have repented, and have had time to reflect on the whole process, then God is ready to reassign us. Didn't Jonah get a good reassignment? Wouldn't you like to have God reassign you to the making of disciples? I would say that there's a change of attitude of ambition and action when one genuinely repents. If you genuinely repent, if you genuinely turn from your ways to God's ways, your attitude will change, your ambition will change, and actions will change. Let me close in this way. Can we be logically practical for a moment? I know that's hard to ask Baptists to do, but can we do that? Be logically practical. One more time about God 
changing or relenting? <laughs> it was God who sent the prophet, right? It was God. It was God's message that was proclaimed. And that's what caused repentance in an entire evil city. And I say, thank you, Lord, for that. God, may that happen in our city. May that happen in our state, in our country. God, may that happen to the ends of the earth. What about you today? Are you running with God? Maybe you're still running from God. Maybe you're beginning to turn and run to God. But are you running with God? Have you truly repented of your sin? Scripture tells us we're all sin, and it separates us from God. But God demonstrated his love towards us. How? Jesus died for us. That's the rescue plan. Has that happened in your life? Have you placed your, this, this believe word, have you placed your full trust in God? Has God saved you? If not, why not today? Why not today? And if so, share your story. Share your story. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this powerful chapter of Scripture. We thank you for the opportunity to look at it. We thank you so much, God, that you're a God of second chances. We thank you that you're the God who saves. And you're the God who forgives, and we're so grateful. And you work in our lives, and you conform us more and more to your likeness, your image. And God, remind us your standards don't change. You don't change. But you're about changing us, and we ask God for that. And God, today in this time, just a few moments of, of uh, responding to you, would you give courage to people who need prayer, who need to talk to someone about repentance and turning to God, who want to be part of a church family. Perhaps you laid on someone's life today that uh, they need to take that first big step of baptism. You've saved them. Perhaps it's something else that needs to be prayed over. God, we ask that you would move today and you would remind us that you desire for us to run with you. God, I thank you that you've saved me from destruction and being overthrown, just like these Ninevites. And I'm grateful. So God, speak to us at this moment. In your name we pray, amen. Would you just stand right where you are? And we're, we're going to have folks right here, right here. Would you come and uh, if you need prayer, come on. We give this time to you. If you want to sing, great. If you want to pray, great. But we just give you a few minutes to nail down what God is saying in your heart. Would you res respond, please? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed.
today. Would you just bow your head for a moment? I just want to take a little poll here. There's nobody looking around. If you have a friend or family member who's lost, you remember they're not coming to you. You've got to go to them. If you're concerned about them and you want to have personal involvement with them, would you just lift up your hand? I just want to see if anyone who's out there is in that predicament. Wow. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Now you can look at me real quick. Would you consider doing something bold today? We always say invite someone to church, right? Would you not just try to invite someone to church? Would you consider taking that step in inviting them to Jesus? Would you consider that? It's called running with God.